Are you sad now? Don't be sad. I'm a little sad. Well, look, we're going to have to talk about the alternative factor at some point. So, But I just really, really don't want to, like, at all. I know. I know. Okay, look, it's going to be tough. We'll, we'll get each other through this. All right, let's do it. We'll, a- get, we'll oh. get the listeners through this. Then we have, on the other side of this conversation, one of the top five episodes of the original series ever to talk about. Okay. So, All right, let's, I, I'm ready. Let's talk about the alternative factor. So in the alternative factor, some weird shit happens, and Kirk fixes it, and the day is saved for just about everybody. Okay. I give it one triple. Let's move on okay. to the city on the edge of forever. Okay. Uh, yeah, here's the thing about the alternative factor. It sucks. Yes. It's an it, alternative to good episodes. Yes, it does. All of those things are true. Uh, I actually, okay, so I had never seen the full episode before, uh, because actually, okay, so I was sort of, uh, uh, texting back and forth with Richard as I was watching this episode and I was kind of like, I, I don't remember this episode. Uh, it turns out that I did remember that I watched about like the first 10 to 15 minutes of it. Um, probably a couple of times, it's never got through it so bad because it is seriously <laughs> awful. I mean, it's not even conscience of the king bad where it's like conscience of the king is bad because it's boring and i don't care about any of the characters in that episode but it's not a badly written episode yeah and you have the guy who's playing the bad guy in that one entertainingly hammy if i remember i mean he was fun to watch the 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 guest star in this episode is boring yeah he's either when he's flipping out i'm just like okay just shut just uh, you know uh, well that's the thing about this episode is that it is it is legitimately just a terrible episode i found it nearly unwatchable it is it is i mean i basically stopped paying attention to it after like 25 minutes i i couldn't do it i just couldn't do it 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 is it's i think i would say it is unwatchable so yeah i could not figure it so Kurt, uh, the, the the Enterprise, everything is blinking in and out of existence, which I have my troubles with. But you know, we're w- we're gonna winking, we're, winking we're, out we're of gonna, existence. We're gonna leave that just to the side for the moment because uh, where where can we even begin? And there's this guy named Lazarus. Now it's like rule. No- Lazarus is one of those names. You don't know. You don't name something or somebody Lazarus unless they're going to die and come back from the dead, and it's going to be lame and obvious symbolism, but that's the only reason you name someone that. I mean, we're talking about Star Trek, so lame and obvious symbolism is a staple of the franchise. But he has nothing to do with dying and coming back from the dead. He's just kind of sometimes being possessed by his evil self. But I couldn't figure out the metaphysics of what exactly was going on. I couldn't figure out what he was trying to do, where he came from, what the point is. Every so often it gets taken over by these overly long scenes where everything turns into a, you know, photograph negative. And I'll tell you something. I don't believe that anyone who had a hand in writing this script knew the answers to any of those questions either. It was, yeah, it, it, it. on one hand, they're saying, well, it's time travel. On the other, like, but it's an alternate dimension. And it's like, pick one. Apparently, it's time travel from an alternate dimension. And not only <sighs> that, but uh, it's like a matter. Like, we live in the matter universe. And the other Lazarus comes from the antimatter, anti-matter. universe. 
I mean, we can try and unpack this as much as we can. Um, but what's the point? Life is too short. And but then he said that, like, he's a top. Like, it doesn't. The time travel part of it doesn't come up until about what twenty five or thirty minutes into the episode. And I actually like wrote in my notes. I was like, oh great, because time travel is what is going to make this episode better. I mean, it doesn't make any sense why that concept is introduced in this episode. Um, Lazarus himself. I mean, there are just like these. I swear to God, I thought I had fallen asleep because. Mm. And maybe the episode like started over again because they they beam down to this planet and they find this guy and he's like yelling and he's crazy and he's got the worst fake beard ever. <laughs> it's like they took broom whisks and just like, you know, spirit gummed him to this guy's face and he falls down the rocks and he gets all bloody and they take him up to the Enterprise and he's in sick bay. And then 15 minutes later... The exact same thing yeah! happens. He's like, okay, we've got to go to the Enterprise. Okay, we've got to go back. Falling. Now we're back on the Enterprise. Let's go back. They keep going back and forth. And it's, it's this, it feels like they had maybe three minutes worth of a plot. If you are not like Groundhog daying your script and you have like the exact same things happen at least twice in an episode, I don't know. Maybe you should just go, hey, uh, let's just not do this one. Like, let's air a repeat. We don't need to do an episode. Like, I don't know. I don't know what they could have done. I really don't. I mean, it's it's awful. It's I, just awful. I really, yeah. I don't understand what, how any of this happened. I don't, I don't understand. even understand what any of it has to do with Star Trek. Like, Spock and Kirk just seem like, uh, you know, Spaceman 1 and Spaceman 2 throughout mm. the entire episode. McCoy is in it for like 35 seconds. Scotty's not in it. Uhura's not in this episode. Zulu's not in this episode. They've got like these random crew members that are in this. I mean, I really don't understand anything that was happening. I don't understand what, like, was this I mean, even well, written as a Star Trek script? Was it me or were there, because cause they have this female black lady lieutenant who's walking around. Is she in a different outfit that, that the rest of the blue shirts are? Because that looked subtly different. It was, it, no, it was a, uh, it was the skirt version of it. Oh, okay. I, that, I, that's, yeah, that was. Because I thought I saw a couple different uniforms and I wasn't sure if I was. Yeah, no, that was just the skirt version of it. That's all that was. Um, It seemed like one of the beginning of the series episodes in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like before in in the first three or four episodes when they hadn't really figured out the tone of the show or the characters really. But it seemed like this is where that seemed to fit in. But the thing is, this was the 20th episode filmed. This was not like an early episode that they kept back. Yeah, which excuses it even now. Less. Okay, let I get into this a little bit. So I I had never actually gotten around to reading Inside Star Trek, um, that was written by uh, Bob Justman and, and Herb uh, Salau, who were two producers on the show. Um, and it's interesting to read it because it does give a lot of the background detail. Like I had known a lot of this stuff, but uh, hearing it from them, it's, it's more interesting, and it also sort of gives some background information that I hadn't known. So, for example, like it's well known that. Uh, 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 Drew Barrymore's father, John Barrymore, was uh, actually cast to play Lazarus in this episode. Okay, which probably would have made it a better episode because he was a decent actor. Yeah, um, a, a, a decent actor. Generally, <laughs> if your name is Barrymore, you're probably very good. <laughs> no, he's he's a good actor. Um, but this <laughs> I, I actually, <laughs> he's all right. I find him watchable. He's fine. <laughs> he's fine. I mean, if you can't get anyone else, you can go with him. There's no Lionel Barrymore. Certainly, certainly not. Um, but he just didn't show up to filming. 
that which, sounds like a barry more which is a really really bad idea because yeah. you are contractually obligated to do that and they actually you can go at, like they they were so uh they were so pissed off at him that they actually went uh they they made a formal complaint to the screen actors guild and like had a, had a hearing and all these things yeah. and i think they uh, if I remember correctly, I think they sanctioned him and he couldn't work for six months, which, you know, for an actor is a pretty big deal. Um, yeah, that's one of those. There's a reason good actors go in bad movies, because at that point it's too late. <laughs> and the other thing that I find really interesting about this episode is that um, <laughs> they were supposed to have like the 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 good Lazarus or the sane la- like whatever, like the guy who wasn't falling off rocks all the time and bloodying himself. Um that he was supposed to have a love story with the female science officer that was in this episode, okay. the, the black female science officer. But they had to cut that when they had cast a black actress to play her and replaced it with like multiple scenes of Lazarus falling off rocks <laughs> and fighting in a camera negative to stuntmen. Like, you know, for, I mean, that happens like five times in the episode. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, and they oh. use they use like the classic like spinning newspaper effect. Yeah, I'm just like, what is going on? So to my mind, it's like, okay, you have you have John Barrymore pulling out of your episode, and you cast a black actress to play this role. Now, let's just put this right out there: it was not okay that uh, the NBC, I think it was the NBC, you know, NBC Brass or whatever, had a had a problem with yeah. the interracial uh, romance subplot, but. I mean, I hate to say it, but why would you cast a black actress in that role then? Because I guess they thought they could fix the script, but they obviously (laughs) could not. I mean, I'm not saying that that would have been a better episode, but it certainly would have been a less tedious episode. I don't know, because again, the... One of the big problems with the episode is it suffers from too much plot. So adding even that romance subplot would be just another thing I don't think it has... I, I don't think it has too much plot. I think it has... It, it it has enough plot, but it none of it makes any sense. That that I think is more of the problem I mean, with it. T- because yeah. it like just the fact that they have to repeat things over and over again means that they don't have enough plot to fill this episode. I don't know why they didn't like fill it in with some character moments between Kirk and Spock. I, I don't I have no idea like what was going on behind the scenes with this episode that was so bad. I mean, like I've said, I've only heard those two stories about it, so Maybe it was just one of those things that happens. It's just a cursed episode. Yeah, you know? sometimes. Just Someone like, walked through the set backwards one day and, you know, forgot to throw salt over their shoulder. I mean, who knows? Yeah, it but might have worked better on paper, but... I know. doubt it. I mean, they they know what's going to be... I mean, like, that's the thing that's interesting about, um, about like, most television and even movie professionals. Like, they don't want to make a bad thing. No, of and course. And they're professionals, and they know when they're making something bad. But, I mean, it could have even had to do something with they expected John Barrymore to do it, and they wrote it with him in mind. And these may this may have been a character that he was able to pull off that the actor they cast just couldn't quite hit. Um, so, in other words, if... Uh, you know, it, it may have been a good episode with John Barrymore, but the character seems off when someone else is playing it. I mean, I know a lot of my dislike of the episode had to do with the fact that this guy was really annoying. I mean, at the end, he's trapped between worlds fighting his evil thing, and they're like, well, he's trapped for eternity. And I'm like, well, good. Now I never have to see him again. Yeah, it, 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 yeah it's so weird. It's just so weird. Like, I, I guess I could buy that argument, but... 
I can't see that having John Barrymore in that role. No, I know. Like a super good episode. Like, you know, certainly uh, not like sitting on the edge of forever or anything like that. It just seemed like three or four things just happened to add up that made it a bad episode and they didn't have time to fix it. Cause if he, if he didn't show up till the day of, you know, if they didn't realize he wasn't showing up till the day of filming and they just had to rush, they probably didn't have time to fix any of this. I'm sure. But it's just it's just one of those things where it's like the 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 plotting of the episode is just so lumpy and it's like it's almost designed to make no sense. And then at the very end of the episode, after you get all these like repeating motifs over and over again, um, you get like this. I don't know. It felt like this interminably long conversation between Kirk and Lazarus, the, the good Lazarus, where he was explaining everything, but he wasn't actually making any sense whatsoever. And I don't know. I mean, this conversation could have been 15 minutes long. It certainly felt like it. It was probably more like five minutes, but... Oh my God, it gives a sense of what it's like to be trapped for eternity. Wow, it's actually a much smarter script than we're ha! giving you credit for. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's really bad. It's just bad. Yeah, I... So, what we're saying basically is this artic- this episode didn't exist. I think we're going to strike it from the record. I would like to, yeah, I think we should do that. We I, have I... to travel back in time and change history so that way this episode doesn't happen. But, because of, you know, the change in history, because this episode was never made, then like World War Three happens and we're all dead. So. Oh, shit. That's yeah, terrible. it's bad. Well, we can't do that then. Yeah. Um... Little little things about the episode as well that make me think that perhaps uh, uh, the original script maybe just had no time to be doctored um, or, or rewritten, I guess, is the more correct term. Uh, apparently, uh, uh, at, at one point, Spock says hell. Yeah. Like he was just like, the hell of it is or whatever he <laughs> said. I don't even remember what the exact quote was, but it was just like so out of character that I was like, wait, yeah. did he just say hell? I didn't. I mean, number one, I I wasn't. I'm not sure what standard and practices were at that time, but they could say hell on TV. Yeah, I mean, hell was fairly mild in even that, back then. Okay, yeah, I, I, mean, I just I I don't know what. I mean, they certainly weren't going to let them like walk around and say it every other line, but you know, once I mean, in a script, I think is probably what fine. the fuck, Spock. I mean, what's this? <laughs> what's all this shit about between two? Oh, get that Lazarus asshole up here. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Oh, that would be cool. HBO didn't exist in 1967. <laughs> David Mamet's Star Trek. I would not want to see that. What's wrong with David Mamet? I just don't care for his writing style, and I think that he would be a terrible thing to happen to Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, they were really worried. Yeah, this is something we should really worry about because I hear he's had interest. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Um, and then it's like little things like, I mean... Uh, uh, it's like the it's like the more I talk about this episode, it's like the more these things come out where I'm just like, what the what the hell were they thinking? Like the whole the whole winking in and out of existence when like they all just like start rolling around the ship, um, and you get like this optical effect that's just like space, it's space. Now it's the ship. Now it's space. Now it's the ship. You know? And Spock says something like, uh, "We're winking in and out of existence," and then Kirk is like. Doesn't say anything, really. He's just like, well, how could that happen? That seems bad. Mm-hmm. Um, while he was, like, smoking a cigar, apparently. Mm-hmm. And then they get a, um, like, a real-time communication from some Starfleet Commodore, which apparently, like, okay, that is another, like, first in Star Trek. Like, they had never had real-time communication with Starfleet before. Did you notice that? 
I thought they did. No, they never had. Huh. Uh, they always were um, uh, radio transmissions. Uh, but they actually had like like put him on the view screen like he was there, okay. which I thought was interesting. I mean, that's okay. like, you know, that was established in this episode. So the alternative factor gave us one thing. Uh, and then they're both like, we put the whole fleet on invasion alert because this happened. And Kirk is like, yes, that's exactly what I thought. Good job, Commodore. I am also on invasion alert. And like, I like how invasion alert is apparently, all right, everyone get the sh- fuck out of there and leave the one guy to stop the invasion if you're on invasion alert um maybe it's not a great idea to let the crazy dude who's like i'm being attacked by this thing to just like wander the ship yeah i would think invasion alert let's get as many guards guarding this evil hole as we can and why is it an invasion what what it why i don't it's just eric eric i think this was just like this script was like the, the the result of a lost bet or something like that, like or somebody's kid and like somebody owed them a favor. Maybe there was like a Godfather esque situation happening in here. I I suppose that could be. I mean, I I don't know. I I think maybe they were just desperate and had to film it because they had nothing else to film, <laughs> and that's really sad. Yeah. Uh. Okay. Well. That wasn't as painful as I thought it was going to be. It was also like five minutes we spoke about it. No, it wasn't. Ten? I don't know. I'm not paying attention. I would like to give the alternative factor one triple. Can we give it zero triples? No, because it didn't have any energy beings. Well, that's your thing, not my thing. Yeah. I'm going to give it zero triples. I hated this episode. Really? It was it's awful. Yeah. It's awful. It's 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 some... it's, it's, it's probably not the worst episode of the original series. Um yeah, because you've got a ride coming in for you in the third season. I'm excited for season three. You should not be. Uh, I will say this about season three. <laughs> um, it is. It has. It, it contains uh, uh, some of the worst episodes in the original series, um, but mostly it's just boring. Oh. And there's 24 episodes mm. of it. So have fun. Why did I have fun with that? Agree to let you talk me into. I don't know doing this. I, you've known me for a while. I think you would know by now not to listen to my crazy ideas. Every week, I mean, just this is what I. This is my life. Mm-hmm. This is the way I live now. This yep. is what I have to do. You're you're a good Lazarus, and I'm evil Lazarus. Look at that! Look at that! Brought it around. You know, I can't even give you a. Uh, I, I couldn't even tell the goddamn difference between the two of them. I could never tell which. I know one of them was crazy and the other was crazy in a different way uh well they were sane and insane the insane lazarus uh had a bloody face and um it just looked crazy and the other guy uh spoke in a very stentorian uh british accent but he still wouldn't tell any of what happened that's that's what i again i know you have a thing with episodes that they're based on uh, some character hiding information when he has no real reason to yes that bothers me yeah well, yeah, that, well, yeah, that that's what this episode is. But, you know, uh, I didn't bring that up because I didn't think about it because the episode is so incomprehensible that yeah. I didn't even think about it. And also, I don't even know that the information was there, to be honest with you. I, it was just, like I said, Kirk, you, you know, some weird shit's happening and Kirk fixes it. It was just 50 minutes of... We saw what dilithium crystals look like. It was 50 minutes of... Crap. A cat playing with a string, basically. No, that would have been adorable. Not 50 minutes of it. You misunderstand the amount of time the internet can look at cats. I probably do. (laughs) 
Okay, well, uh, we're done with that. So uh, let's move on to The City on the Edge of Forever. So what did you think about this episode, Richard? This is a really good episode. I am glad. Everything about this was beautifully done. Um, It was very well written. I mean, you have... It was a Harlan Ellison episode, so... Which we will get into a little later. Okay. So, I mean, you're going to have a good premise, and he's an actual author. So, um, you have some really great character moments with Kirk and Spock. Which, let's not discount the other scripts from the season, because we had a lot of fine scripts this season. Oh, of course. Um, I consider... I I think this one was particularly well done. Um, Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, it definitely, like I said before, it's one of the top five episodes of the original series. The guest star is Joan Collins in her prime, and, of course, Kirk falls in love with her because who wouldn't? And it was just—it had a lot of—it was a very interesting plot. Uh, It was just a really good episode. Yeah. No, I agree with all of that. I mean, it uh, is—it's one of those episodes that I I find, like, it's—it's—it's so highly regarded and um, even well-known outside of, of Trek Circles in some respects that it's it's even a little hard to talk about and maybe even a little daunting to talk about because I feel like with this episode in particular, and we've had some uh, classic episodes um, so far this season, uh, but they're not as highly regarded as this one outside of Trek Circles, and so I feel like they're a little bit easier to talk about in that regard. You know, with this one, you have uh, Harlan Ellison writing uh, the original script, um, and, you know, he, he definitely uh, adds something to the experience of it, um, being that he wasn't someone who worked for Star Trek before and, and never wrote another Star Trek script. Uh, and also the fact that you have Joan Collins, who's a legitimate, you know, capital F famous actress, yeah. um, which we don't see too much um, in the original series as well. Um, I mean, of course, you know the the the, the cast members of the uh, of the original series yes, are famous, but, to, but they're famous for this, not anything else. Um, did Joan Collins ever win uh, an Oscar or uh, I'm not or sure. an Emmy? I mean, I feel like she must have, but I'm not sure. Maybe. Um, and she's very good in this episode. Uh, I mean, she she plays the role with this really interesting mix of uh, like optimism and. But she knows what's up. Well, yeah, that's and that's this character. And like I think she's that, not not naive at all. That's I think why Kirk falls in love with her because he sees that she has these ideals, and in a way, her this character's ideals are the same as his. They believe that I mean, there's a scene when they're in this mission and she's talking to you know the bums, and she's basically saying like you know if you just if you're here for a free ride, get out of here. You know I'm helping people out, but I'm not you know taking care of drunks. You know and. Yeah, I know you got to sit through my sermon, but you know that's the price you got to pay. And you know, then she gives this speech about how she believes that uh, humanity, you know, science and the human intellect are going to be used in order to explore space, and that we can, you know, use that to help people, and use that to solve hunger, and use that to solve, you know. And she very much is espousing the idea that science is not to be used for evil or for its own sake, but it's used for the betterment of mankind. And that's very much the Federation's ideal. The entire point of Starfleet is to, you know, go out and seek new worlds and bring, you know, this utopian society to other planets and to learn and to, you know, commune with other cultures. Um, 
So he definitely sees that, but she's all and I mean, I that, think. Well, I I like that you bring that speech up because um, I think that's interesting because it it's it's pretty much like we just got a mission statement for Star Trek. Yeah. Um, and it's not ever anything that's been made that explicit before. And you know, watching this episode now, uh, is it, kind of like watching Star Trek, you know, uh, uh, be born in a way because. Yes, the show definitely has espoused those values. It hasn't said them outright, which I think is maybe to the show's credit in some respects. Um, you know, if there's a criticism of uh, Star Trek to, to be made sometimes is that it can be a little a little on the nose, let's yeah. say. Um, but I think in this episode it works because it's set up as a time travel episode. They're in 1930, and we know what's going to happen. Um and of course, this was broadcast in 1967, and you had the Cold War going on. You had the nuclear arms race, um, communism spreading, you have... uh, Vietnam ramping up. I mean, these are some big things going on, and uh, it was kind of a, 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 a weird choice, but I think a really effective one to have her give that speech. Um, it might make her seem a little crazy, but since we know what we're watching it doesn't come across as crazy it comes across as prescient yeah that 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 makes sense i mean she is very passionate about this and i think the fact that she they go out of their, their way to make her seem very clear-headed and very sensible and even though she does have these romantic uh notions to her about the role of science and the goals of humanity they're tempered by a clear-headedness that so she's not getting this out of she doesn't have a, an optimism about the human race because of any naivety or and she has seen pretty much she's she she's dealing with homeless people during the depression she's seen kind of one of those as bad as it usually gets for most people yeah and she still believes that there is better from here and that eventually we're going to get through this and we can all go towards a good goal I mean, there's a great there's a great scene about two thirds of the way through the episode where, you know, w- one of the subplots of the episode is that uh, Spock is trying to construct some sort of computer so that he can examine his tricorder records to find out exactly um, what the focal point in time is that they need to uh, fix. Which, by the way, he they, the tricorder doesn't have a screen on it, apparently. <laughs> no, it does. That's how they're watching it. No, I, I thought he was um, trying to create something to view all of. The, the what's on the tricorder No, the way the way that i understood what he was trying to do and you know this is all sort of hand wavy and it's not yeah. that important but um the the tricorder doesn't really have enough computing power for him to look through the records like it's a recorder and you can sort of view like very basic information on it but to sort of like he wanted to sort of like play it back play yeah. it back and download it or something and, and so he could get it i mean because um of course, they're, they're, they're like commercially available televisions in 1930 just like didn't basically exist, so yeah. th- they could not afford one on 15 cents an hour. Um, but so he's he's building this computer, and there's a, a great scene about two thirds of the way through the episode where uh, he watches um, a couple of the the guys who come to the mission uh, working on a clock, and they have you know little tools and and fine tools, and they have the um, uh, jeweler's eyeglass and things like that, uh, and, and and Spock needs it and. Um, steals it he he basically like just hacks into the uh 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 uh, combination lock and she finds out and you know she's like why did you do this and he says i needed the tools and they would have been returned 
Uh, and she's about to say, you know what? You need to get yeah. out. You need to leave. And Kirk kind of powerful mans her, which is a li- <laughs> like one of the false notes of the episode, I think. Well, but- I have to say that um, it didn't come off false to me just because at this point, she's already very taken with Captain Kirk. He's been very... He's been Captain Kirk to her. Uh, and I think... If it had been anybody else, she definitely would have kicked them out. But she realizes that there's Kirk and Spock are not just your typical people who are just down on the luck. They're not bums. I mean, it's right after that scene where she says, you know, you two don't belong here. You know, you come from someplace else. And it's one of those she probably subconsciously realizes he's, you know, very, you know, she she realizes how different he is but she isn't even beginning to go where he really is oh of course reasons. yeah um she's very taken by him by both of them and no of course and i she think she realizes they're not doing this just because he's a common thief there's something yeah no i agree with that i mean maybe it's just kind of a, a, a false note in, in shatner's performance there where it just comes across as a little too much like i am man listen to me hmm. um at least to me uh maybe you know but he just says hey he said he needed them and they would be returned to you and they will be. And she gives him a break. I mean, like you said, because of course she is taken with him and she's falling in love with him as Kirk is falling in love with her. Yeah. I like how they always forget that Kirk's penis is like the biggest weapon on the show. Uh, <laughs> if there's a woman, Kirk's penis will get her on his side. And that's usually the linchpin to everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and of course the, the reveal later on that, that it's her death that allows, um, history to to write itself is interesting because it's kind of a i mean it's kind of a brave choice in some respects because it turns out that when you know mccoy saves her from being hit by that truck at the end of the episode and 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 doesn't and she doesn't die and she's such a dynamic figure that she creates sort of this pacifist movement that keeps the united states out of uh world war ii yeah they say that fdr meets with her and she's you know assumed to be guiding his policies at least towards war and what happens of course is that um uh uh, they keep them out of the war so long that germany develops the atom bomb before the united states and takes over the world is is kind of the implication there yeah um which assumedly either destroys humanity or makes no space program or whatever the point is which i mean it has its own problems because of course uh just because this great pacifist movement was happening didn't mean that Japan would not have had Pearl Harbor happen. So, as, you know, if you think about it a little bit, it's sort of weird because we didn't get into World War II because we just felt like it. We got into World War II because we were directly attacked by the Axis. So, even if there was this great pacifist movement, I don't think that would have kept us out of World War II after Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. Yeah, but perhaps the, number one, the timing may have been different. They may have delayed Pearl Harbor a year or two, which could have been enough for another, you know, England to completely fall to the Nazis. I, I mean, mean, I guess you can hand wave it like, okay, yeah. Japan saw that, you know, there was no way that America was ever going to get involved. So they just didn't even have to act or whatever. Or again, you wait um, till a divide and con- you know, maybe a, again, parts of England are following faster or whatever the point is, you know, whatever reason, maybe Japan decides not to in, in light of that. And at that point, it's just America all alone. Yeah. So if they get over this pacifism, they still don't have enough manpower, frankly. Yeah, sure. 
time. Uh, but I think that's a really that's a really brave choice, and I think it underscores the idea that um, you know it, there, you know again if there's one little thing I have a uh, problem with the episode is it it very much subscribes to the great man theory of history, um, which I think has pretty much been disproved uh, at least in my mind. But um, mm, I, I but I think you know it it, it is interesting because uh, it, it shows that there are unintended consequences to any action and you know the fact that she espouses all of the beliefs and ideals of the federation of and of the society that is born um in the future and that kirk and spock both believe in yeah uh doesn't mean that humanity was ready for them well yeah i mean the show definitely espouses just war theory it said that no matter what the nazis were such a force of evil that no amount of peace or diplomacy could have ever checked them, and the only way to have stopped them was what ultimately happened. Yeah, um, and and that's a heavy idea, you know. And again, we talk yeah. about the show being aired at the time of the Cold War and Vietnam ramping up and things like that. And you know, you can imagine that yeah. you know this is v- very much on the minds of the viewers of the show. Yeah, at one point, Kirk explicitly says, you know, she's right about you know these pacifist ideals, but not right now. And it's funny because I've been thinking about one of the main theme, you know, the main themes of the show, and I've always said, you know, it has this, uh, I you creating your own society in to benefit you is wrong and ultimately evil, and ultimately will be harm. And that view is m- refined in at least Wrath of Khan as the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. I guess I'm realizing how much they're the same theme in just kind of different formulations. Yeah. This, this we've seen so far Kirk going into places where people have created this sub world and he's coming and says, this is wrong. And he destroys it or stops it or whatever. This episode, we see him putting his money where his mouth is because number one, if Kirk wanted he could say, all right, I'm going to save this woman now. I Now, number one, I'm Captain Kirk. I can figure out a way to kill Hitler. I can figure out a way of stopping this because, I mean, obviously, Kirk would go into some kind of I, – I would assume Kirk would enlist or go into some kind of government position or something and use his foreknowledge and his skills to do something. If, if Kirk and Spock combined yes. cannot figure out a way to get America involved in World War II, then – everything they've done up to this point is a lie. <laughs> yeah, or prevent it before it even happens. Yeah. I mean, Kirk becoming a, you know, in, what 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 is it, 1930? Kirk has enough time to go get a career in politics. Kirk has enough time to go earn enough money to buy a, 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 a ticket on a steamer to Germany and just go kill Hitler before yeah, ex- he's chancellor. I mean, you know, it's 1930. He's got six years. Exactly. Or, honestly, worst case scenario, then he figures, all right, I've got 10 years with this woman, and that's better than having no time at all with them. With her. Right. And he does weigh that, and at the end he realizes, no, this is the way things need to be. And the way the needs of the many, which is humanity, outweigh the needs of the few, which is him and uh, Edith. Yeah, I mean, there's that, that great line in the episode where, where he says that, you know, or, or maybe it's Spock, I forget who, but, um, you know, it says that, you know, millions of people would not have died if it wasn't for this one woman. Um, and we have to fix that. I mean, they, they deserve to live because all of these people would not have been dead otherwise. Um, and I, you know, it, it, it's kind of, again, at the end of the episode where, where 
uh, Spock is, I mean, Kirk is very much like he's just a man possessed almost with, with Edith and it's clear how much he does love her now, you know, it's kind of shortcutted for the episode, but of course this does happen. I mean, intense romances can occur very quickly, um, especially in these sorts of situations. And I think one of the implications is that, you know, give them enough time and, you know, this initial infatuation will blossom into something stable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's this great, you know, sort of exchange at the end where, you know, Spock and Kirk are, 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 are sort of not arguing necessarily, but, but Spock is sort of quietly trying to convince Kirk of what he needs to, to have happen. And, you know, he even says, look, you're, 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 you're listening to your heart and I, I need you not to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and that's kind of the, it's kind of the, not the inverse of what we've seen so far, but it's a nice moment for Spock because, most of the episodes have this very weird dichotomy when this is brought up where Spock's logic needs to be tempered with, you know, passion or, or, or emotion. And in this case, Spock is, is cor- totally right. I mean, he, you need to take yeah. emotion completely out of this decision. I mean, it would be interesting to trace the moral at the end who's, who the guilt is on because I think the guilt of her death goes on to Kirk at the very end in a way that it shouldn't it originally wasn't i would say that the guilt of her death lies with the guardian of forever uh, let's hear the guardian of forever is kind of a dick um if he's the guardian of forever why does he allow time to be changed uh you know wh- why does he let people go back in time at all uh you know it, it, the guardian of forever is obviously a plot device yeah. is that um, ever by the way uh, do we see the guardian forever again we do actually okay. not not in the original series okay because again in my theoretical where they've figured this out that 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 seems like a very interesting thing <laughs> they they it, it's it's kind of um yeah it's used in the same sort of uh uh hand wavy manner okay again. um it's a device to give us to allow us to go write it, a costumer it, <laughs> exactly it's a plot generation device um, so I think that in that sense, uh, you know, yes, you, you can't really think about it too much, but I do think that the guardian of forever is, is, is sort of complicit in this. And to, to say that it's Kirk's fault that she dies. Mm, I don't know that I agree with that because well, he- she would have died anyway. And it's more, I think you can argue that it would be more McCoy's fault that she doesn't die. But at the same time, Kirk makes an active thing to stop her from being saved, allowing her. McCoy, number one, not knowing the, you know, saves her just as a reflex. And he's McCoy's responsible for saving her. Kirk's responsible for letting her actively die because he makes an active choice. I guess. But at the same time, he's not supposed to be there. And if you look at it from the point of view of non-interference, um, if, if something, if you know, something is supposed to happen and of course we're getting into yeah. like really like weird territory because of course none of us ever know if something is supposed to happen or even yes. if that's even possible or true. Uh, but if you know that something is supposed to happen and you take action to make sure that that thing does happen, I'm not sure that you can really be put at fault there. I, I think we're getting into like non- uh, you know, non-guilt territory. Well, I here's think. where, I mean, this is fairly, you know, theoretical more philosophy we're dealing with. And I guess 
there's a reason the show doesn't really go into it that much, but maybe it's best to not talk about this. Yeah, I mean, maybe. And also, I think it's just it's it's supposed to be a, a dramatic moment. It's supposed to be a heartbreaking moment. It it was and a very sad episode. It is. He has to. I think it's I think it's a melancholy, a melancholic episode. And you're really supposed to feel for Kirk in these moments. Um, and it's one of those episodes where it just sort of it, it just sort of ends. Right. Like, but not in a bad way. Um, there are some episodes of, of Star Trek that just sort of end and it, it yeah. never really resolved. Um well, cause, just so they couldn't figure out how to end it. But in this episode, it's it's very like they go back. They're like, okay, the Enterprise is there. We're going to beam up. And that's it. That's the yeah. end of the episode. They all sort of look up and it's that's it. And it's very, very uh, affecting, I think. Yeah, because they know at what cost pieces come from. Yeah. Kirk knows directly, number one, what a loss to the world this woman was in a way. Um, and... I mean, I, I, I think they feel um, a satisfaction in knowing that eventually peace was gotten and peace was earned. Yeah. Not in the way that she would have gotten it, but in a right way. And Kirk also knows that while he has this great personal loss, he has avoided a much, an infinitely greater loss. Yeah, and there's a time for peace and there there's a time for fighting yeah. back. and. You know, I think one of the one of the ways that you show wisdom is knowing which is which and, you know, pacifism to the point of never fighting is just as bad as being yeah. a warmonger. Again, remember. You know? Yeah. See, couple what I find interesting, again, this is a this is the universe that has seen cons who was even more evil than Hitler was in a way. So. I don't know. Well, you know, it's funny. I don't know if you can really make that argument because, of course, Khan is supposed to have been one of the nicer uh, Superman despots. So I don't know. Mm. Maybe if not more evil than more powerful, at least. Oh, yeah. I would. Yeah, definitely more powerful. Um, you know, Hitler was definitely not a Superman. No. Um, I don't know. This episode did have a lot of really funny moments, at least. Um, I like how in the entire time they're worried about, you know— their clothes and Spock's ears and all of that, and nobody really—that's not what anybody cares about. Like they have this cop, and he's trying to explain. He's like, "Well, he's Chinese, and it was a rice picker <laughs> machine accident." And the cop is just arresting them, not because they look weird or anything, but because they were stealing, you know? Right. And there's this moment when she sees this computer that he's making, and she asks Spock, and he just goes, "Well, it's a monomonomic circus," and right. she's. Just like, she's like, okay, whatever, you know. You don't want to tell me that's yeah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 obviously, you're very smart with machines, so I don't really care that much, you know. Yeah, I, I love Spock's disguise in this episode, which is a hat. Um, it's fantastic. I, Spock and Kirk look really nice in 30s gear, and I have to say, the three of them... If any one of them walked through Williamsburg in those outfits, we would not give them a second look because I, I'm pretty much wearing the same right now exact shirt Kirk <laughs> was wearing. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny because it's something that happens, uh, you know, whenever they go back in time and, and, and Spock is there, they always have to hide his ears somehow. Um, it's really hilarious. It's not as good as the Return of the Archons disguise he had, I have to say, but... Which one was that? Uh, it, it, it's like this cloak with this like weird like wimple almost oh, looking right. thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know, man. I mean, at least he was lucky that he got into the 30s when everybody was wearing hats. 
Yeah. This, <laughs> what if this has happened in the 70s? Yeah. Ooh, boy. Well, where everybody had long hair and he could just get a wig that would cover his ears. Where are you going to get a wig? The wig store. It's 19... 19- yes, in 1970s New York, it's impossible to get a wig. I think it's easier to find a hat than it is to find a wig. I'm just saying. Yeah, but I mean, I... I, I, I think... You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. All right. All right. We're going to spend 10 minutes and we're going to see who's going to get a hat or a wig first. Okay. Um, Another nice thing about this episode is I really think that uh, you get to see a a, a nice side of DeForest Kelly because Mm. he really has to step it up in this episode. And he's a good actor and uh, he plays crazy pretty well. I mean, who knew? Uh, He's nuts. And it's really creepy. There's two really good moments that I loved of uh, that he did, and one is when he's having this breakdown to this, you know, one of the bums, and he starts even even in the middle of his madness. He when he realizes where he is, he starts geeking out about what he thinks a hospital would be, and he's like, "Oh, I wish I could see a hospital." And then he thinks about you know what 20th century medical procedures were, like syringes, and you know, so, and he breaks down at how barbaric he thinks that is. It's a really interesting moment because it sees you see his just scientific curiosity and his compassion for people just in two very explicit and you know passionate moments he thinks it's like a hallucination yeah either way he does still want to go to a hospital see the hospital and he starts geeking out about it oh it's sad he never does no but he gets to go to a hospital many years later well yeah good for him we'll get to that in a few minutes we'll get to that in a while um um yeah, so, I, you know, I don't know if there's much else to say about it, but... Uh, uh, there's one other nice moment at the very end when uh, they realize that McCoy's there and Spock and Kirk are panicked and running because they figure, oh, God, you know, we need to figure out what happened. And, you know, McCoy sees them and he doesn't know any of this and he just gets this overjoyed, like, look and he just... It's very... It's not foregrounded in the framing at all but he just like kind of gives them a big hug and he's just vigorously shaking their hand and he's just so happy to see them yeah it's yeah. a really just cute moment just as oh good he's they've they've been reunited you yeah. know obviously kirk and spock have other concerns but <laughs> that's late that's that's a late way of putting it yeah um yeah right, what... we've got to make sure hitler's dead <laughs> what what you, you seem to have some thoughts about uh harlan ellison so i mean did you have anything to say about that because there, there, the the background there is very interesting. Well, I mean, again, just that it's it's interesting given that you said this is the only episode he wrote. How well it picks up on and anticipates some of the themes that the series does. Well, here, how well it encapsulates all of that, and just given that it was somebody who was a you know wrote a lot of things, that kind of makes sense as to why it's such a good episode he was well here's here's but. the thing you're you're almost completely wrong yay um, because the original script that Harlan Ellison wrote was not filmed uh and and this is background information that a lot of people listening to this probably know, but Richard doesn't know it, so yeah, um he wrote a script and it was very different uh you know certain things like there was drug dealing going on in the enterprise and the person that actually caused this to happen was not dr mccoy but another crew member who was like uh tripping out on drugs hmm. um and it you know it, it okay. was it was very different uh he actually so it had, wasn't an accidental overdose like happens in the i i don't know if it was or... an accidental overdose or not I, i've never read the original script um i just know that that it was, it was this drug uh, drug addict that was supposed to have gone through. I don't know if it was an overdose or not. Yeah. Well, the I mean, in the episode is filmed, uh, 
McCoy's delivering medicine and he accidentally basically syringes himself. So. Yeah, yeah. So there were it was it was apparently it was going to be a very expensive episode to film and I think it had uh maybe more location shooting. I think okay. that you know some characters were not used. You know, it was it was weird. Um like I said I've never read the original script so I'm not sure, but they had Harlan Ellison rewrite it, I think, two two times, and eventually they were just like, okay, we'll take it. And uh, I believe Gene Roddenberry ended up um, rewriting a lot of it. Oh. Uh, and Harlan Ellison was extremely displeased. Well, that, he, has he ever been not? <laughs> yeah, he's kind of a firebrand. Uh, so... You know, they, he was he was so upset that they changed a lot of this. So I think a lot of what you're seeing there is okay. not Harlan Ellison, actually. I well, think then it's that makes uh, more Gene sense. Roddenberry and the other regular Star Trek uh, writing uh, crew and the producers, even. Okay. Uh, and uh, the end of this, of course, is that he was so upset that um, he wanted to take his name off the episode and use his pseudonym, uh, which I don't remember. But he had a he had a standard pseudonym. I don't yeah. know if he still uses it, but. Uh, and and Gene Roddenberry actually called him and convinced him not to because Star Trek was having trouble getting uh, quality scripts and getting people to write for it. And um, okay, they they didn't want Harlan Ellison to take his name off it because mm. if he did, that would have been an indication that oh, this is not a different show. This is you know the state the same old shit. Um, we're gonna get a script and we're gonna rewrite it, and we don't respect science fiction and all this kind of yeah. stuff. So. He very much did not want to have his name taken off the episode, and I, I think they—I'm not—I don't remember how they resolved it, but it, it's an interesting, you know, it, it's interesting to see that. Of course, and I—I I, I mean, I would assume that they would do some kind of marketing or advertising with a script by Harlan Ellison type thing at the time. I mean, yeah, I don't know how they—I don't know how they operated that because you, you know, of course, um, science fiction um, is still still a niche. Maybe I don't know. Uh, but it was very much a niche back then. Yeah, but and... I mean, to be th- but that kind of even makes more sense because then the overlap between Har- Harlan Ellison readers and Star Trek fans would probably be very. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. So that would definitely be something that they would. Uh, I, there would be a lot of people who would say, "Oh, well, Harlan Ellison wrote this episode. I'm going to make a point of seeing it." Yeah, yeah. So I'm not really sure how they used to do that kind of stuff yeah. back in the '60s. Of course, now we have the internet, so everyone would know. But and, when, and, when you actually had to push that stuff out there into magazines and things, I, I don't know, you know, how they operate. I mean, that costs money, you know. And, and Star Trek didn't have a lot of money, yeah. so I'm not sure how they did that. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's I it's it's a fantastic episode, and I, I think again, it's one of the top five episodes of the show. Uh, there's really nothing bad about it, and it's great. And it even has. Proof to back up my Sulu's gay theory. Oh, God. Let's hear it. Yeah. At the very beginning of the episode, he gets attacked by glitter. He's wearing eyeshadow, and he's relaxed after these drugs while they fuck McCoy up really badly. If that's not something qualities of a gay man, I don't know. He's attacked He's attacked by glitter? Yeah. that Like, his, his like, console explodes in a shower of sparks and pretty lights. Yeah, that's called a fire. Yeah. That's not glitter. Because he's flaming. You're really just reaching now. You're just like really reaching. I yeah. And also, Spock wears eyeshadow as well. Is Spock gay? No, he's metrosexual. So maybe Sulu is as well. No, because they they didn't really invent that yet at the time in the sixties. So therefore, he couldn't have been. So how is he metrosexual then? Spock, because he's an alien. Their culture is different from ours. You're just really, like, changing your story all the time to fit in with your Sulu is gay theory. Yeah, well, that's how 
academic theories work. I know, and I'm saying you're wrong. You're wrong. You're just wrong. I, I think we're just going to—see, it's, it's as always said. If there was just one of these instances— we could say, all right, fine. You know, it's just a one-up. No, this is like a total reach on your part. His console exploded. It's not like he was um, hit by glitter. Like, he, it wasn't like someone blew glitter in his face, and then he was like, well, let me suck your cock. Well, maybe that was in the original Harlan Ellison script. Maybe it was, but <laughs> maybe that's why they couldn't film it. I don't know. It was It was a very different time then. It was, yeah. But you're, you're, you're just reaching now. I... I, I... You're going to be on my side by the end of the series. I don't think I am. I really don't. Yeah. All right. So how many triples would you give this one? I would give this a nine triple episode. Nine? Yeah. Because it doesn't have Baylock. Really? You're going to reserve 10 for, for any episode that has Baylock in it? Yeah. Okay. Well. Or triples. Uh, I'm not going to say anything right now. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that alone. We'll, yeah. I people that know people that listen to the show that that know Star Trek well will will know why I am acting like this. Okay, and I'll leave it at that. Well, I I think that the best episode of Star Trek would be fifty minutes of Baylock playing with Tribbles and drinking Chanya. So so what you're saying then is that just a day in the life. No episode of any show that we cover in the Trek about is going to get ten Tribbles. Because no no no, there may Baylock. There may be other things that I like as much as Baylock or Tribbles. I just haven't found out yet. Okay, so it's like there's there's a list that you're constructing in your mind. Yes. So Baylock is on it. Tribbles is on it. Maybe something else yeah, is on it. Yeah, I'm not sure what yet because, I mean, I still have two seasons and then like 500 other shows left. But All right, that's fair. Yeah. Well, what if this episode, uh, they went back in time because Baylock... Uh, I, re- I love it so Baylock far. was the drug addict, okay? No! Why would Baylock be a drug addict? Number one, he has Tranya. We don't, know, two... we, we don't know what's in Tranya. I mean, I'm just saying, maybe he ran out of Tranya, mm. you know? Uh, and then, of course, uh, when they go back in time, um, they find a Tribble. Yeah. And that just is bad, because Tribble, you know, he Baylock had a Tribble in his pocket. <gasps> And he's not supposed to because Tribbles are not native to Earth. Oh, no. And Tribbles are bad because they multiply so much and they're going to eat. And it, was, it wasn't in New York. It was Iowa. So you dro- so he, he was going to eat all the food. No, and no, it was no, the no, depression. No, 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 no. Here's what happens. You take all of the Tribbles and you drop them into Germany and they eat Hitler. I think that it's a good thing that we were not alive to write for Star Trek. I think we would have been... We could have definitely written an alternative factor level episode. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that my dead grandfather could have written that kind of quality episode. No, and he's been dead for many years. Mm. But at the time, he wasn't dead. I at assume. the time, he was not dead. That no, is true. so maybe he would have written a good episode. Maybe he did. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to give it ten. Okay, ten tribbles. Great episode. It was a really good episode. All right, so. We're almost there, Richard. I can't. I can't wait. Next, okay, we're, we're going to finish all of the Star Trek, and then I never have to do the show again. Yeah. Ne- ne- next week, we're going to finish Star Trek. So watch Yay! all the remaining seven hundred and and forty episodes of Star Trek. Why? Why did I let you talk me into this? I don't even seven hundred and forty. I don't even think that's possible. We watched twenty nine. How many? How many hours were a week? Uh... 
I don't know. Why would I know? It's like 160 or something. It's not even possible to do that. Um, So next week, we're going to wrap up season one with Operation Annihilate. Okay. Or as you should say, Operation Annihilate. Op Ivy. Got it. Uh, Which, the best of my recollection, is not a great episode, but it's not terrible. Um, And then we're going to start the second season. Oh, man. With Amok Time. Aw. So look forward to that. Amok. I know that we've been berating you uh, to go to iTunes and rate the show, but uh, please continue to do that. That's a rating berating. Yes, a rating berating. I'm going to do that every week. Uh, and uh, write a review if you can as well. Yeah. We've got a couple, and uh, we also have some nice uh, ratings up there, but but more will help. A rating berating. We want a review by you. And uh, you can also find us at Trek About Show on Twitter. Yes. So if you have any questions, concerns, um, you want Richard's phone number, go go there. Yeah, I, I I will give my phone number if you're a cute boy. Yep, he will. Yeah. All right, we'll or see. Or maybe you next- a really if you're Joan Collins level, I will talk to you. Yeah. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye.